The Law Report with Karen Key. And a very good evening to you from tonight's Law Report program and all best wishes for a fabulous 2013. Before we begin, let me tell you that I finally dragged myself into the 21st century. And while I thought I'd set up Facebook pages for all my shows on SAFM, I thought they were all available. But apparently, I gather I have to publish them. So I'm going to try and do that when I get home this evening. So if you need any information regarding the Law Report, hopefully by tomorrow morning, you can find it on Facebook. Just go to the Law Report on SAFM. And if you'd still like to contact me directly, you can email me on law at safm.co.za. Well, we received a number of emails over the holidays, so we'll be dealing with those first, and then we'll be taking your calls. So you can call us now on 0892 10 2010. You can leave your name and your contact number, and we'll call you back as soon as we've dealt with the emails. And being the first Monday of the month, I'm joined this evening by Michael Bagram, Practicing Managing Partner at Bagram's Attorneys, Labor Law Specialists. Michael, good evening. Welcome back to the show. Hi, good evening. It's wonderful to be back after a great holiday. And I need to just apologize. I had what I like to term an end-of-year moment, and for some reason I thought the 31st of December was the first Monday in January. I mean, Trust me, I needed a holiday. So poor Michael was completely confused, thought he was only supposed to be coming on the 4th of February until he received my rather frantic emails over the weekend and cancelled an arrangement he had for this evening to be with us. So, Michael, thank you for that. Thank you, and I'm very proud to be here. So it's 2013. It's going to be a good year for labor, labor law. And hopefully we'll see some interesting strikes. It's that 13 that bothers me a little <laughs> yeah, bit, just okay. a little bit. <laughs> um, just so I mentioned earlier that we have some emails that came in over the holidays. And if we could just uh, go through those quickly, Michael. Um, the one I got here was from Tulani. He says that he it's concerning a dismissal by a company that he worked for for 10 years and seven months. He joined the company in 2001 and his contract was terminated on the 26th of August in 2011 due to a polygraph test. He reported the case to the CCMA as, along with the union. The case ended with a one-month salary settlement, um, and he was hoping that there could be a review. And he says in February this year he got a letter from the Department of Labor that he claimed UIF unlawfully or with false information, and through his own investigation he found that the company did a salary adjustment on the in December 2011. They put his name on it and they submitted it to the Department of Labor. The submission stated that he was earning a different salary than he ever earned, that he'd never earned since he worked for the company, well, since he had worked for the company. So he wants to know, does he have a legal case to challenge the company or not? So it sounds like he was claiming UIF on a salary that he thought he was, was had been earning. They changed it. Then he got sort of had up for claiming unlawful, but surely if he would be claiming on a lesser, I would imagine they would have put the salary up, not down, or unless they put it down, I don't know, but it's this whole thing about the polygraph, and then he got a one-month salary settlement, and he wants a review. It's a bit complicated. Okay, it's not too bad. Uh, what Tulani is outlining to us is that he had been, for the, had been working for the company for 10 years, almost 11 years, in fact, uh, which is a princely summer time. It's good in this day and age, people normally chop and change and move around. He didn't, and he was obviously quite loyal. But his contract looks like it was illegally terminated in 2011, and they tried to dismiss him, or they did dismiss him, on the strength, probably, of a negative polygraph test. Now, we must first have a look at that, because a lot of companies do do polygraph testing. It's the so-called modern lie detector. You cannot rely on a polygraph for dismissal. That's the bottom line. 
The CCMA have ruled on it many times. The Labour Court has ruled on it many times. If your employer puts you on a polygraph and that's the only evidence your employer has against you and any dismissal that takes place following on a negative polygraph result is an illegal dismissal. That's not a good merit to dismiss for polygraph. Obviously what happened, he then went to the CCMA and I presume he went timeously within the 30 days after the dismissal and there he said it ended with a one-month salary settlement. Now that's not saying that the CCMA gave him one month. It means that he settled his case by accepting one month. And what that really means is that he signed that he accepts one month in full and final settlement. The CCMA have special forms, settlement forms, that you sign. And it's explained to you very carefully by the commissioners at the CCMA that if you sign this form, that's the end of the road. You can't claim any more money. They explain to you that once you've signed the form that there's no further claims, you can't go anywhere else, you absolve the company from any further liability and that form very carefully is outlined to you by a trained commissioner at the CCMA. So in fact if that case ended with a one-month salary settlement then you can't go take that on review. It's his own settlement. He's the person as an adult, fully understanding what was going on, who said, yes, this is what you can have, that's what they're offering. If they're offering it and you want it, you can take it, but then you've got to sign your rights away. And unfortunately, that's not reviewable. You can't review yourself. Um, and people must understand that. I often get people phoning me saying they were under pressure, they were under financial pressure, they were advised by the commissioner that it was a good settlement, but remember, we all stand alone. We're all adults and we stand alone. And as soon as it's explained to you and you want to try and settle it at that level, there is no comeback. That's the end of it. So no, he can't review that and he can't challenge it in any way because as an adult, he signed it and it gets explained to you. And there's a perfectly careful case that's outlined by the CCMA as to how they describe every single paragraph in those settlement agreements. So when you sign them and you pick up that pen, you do so with your own caution and you do so if you don't understand, rather don't sign. If you do understand and you want more explanation, you can ask the commissioner. That's why they're there. They're there to help you. And I think what happened was he settled the case. Afterwards, he might have heard from some people saying, you could have got more or my brother-in-law is an attorney, says your case is a good one or whatever it might be. And then you get buyer's remorse. You think, maybe I should have got more. Let me go and challenge it. Um, unfortunately, you can't. Now, with regard to the UIF, which is an interesting um, subject matter, all he has to do is to go into the Department of Labor, speak to an inspector at the Department of Labor, show his pay slips, show what was deducted, and they will then take up the fight with the company directly. So he doesn't have to get involved in that at all. He doesn't have to get involved at all. Um, if they think that there's false information, it's the company's fault, not him. He doesn't complete the forms. The companies complete the form. They deduct the money. Sometimes they pay it over. Sometimes they don't. If they don't, it's fraudulent, and they will take it up for him. So he doesn't have to. He doesn't have to do anything other than report that to the uh, UIF and get hold of an inspector there. Okay, so that that was quite simple as far as that's concerned. 
Right. The other one is rather a strange case. Um, it's one of those things, you know, about you say can, you can't choose your neighbours. This one, really, I'm sure these people are hoping, wishing they didn't have to choose their neighbours. Um, got an email here from Marie, and she says her brother-in-law is having a problem with one of his neighbours who keeps on complaining to the police and having him appear in court over the charges. Her email says, my brother-in-law was retrenched and started a business at home, Boilermaker Jobs, which entails cutting and welding whatever is required by his customers. His neighbour complained to the police and to the municipality, and he received received notification from the municipality and was requested to close the business, which he did, and moved it somewhere else away from his house. He still had complaints from the police, who explained that this came from the same neighbour, even though he's not running the business from home. The police also came to the house and checked the premises and found no one working. My sister was on leave and the police came to the house saying that there was a loud noise, drilling and grinding from the house. My sister explained that there was no one there but herself and she was busy hanging up the washing. She told the officer, who apparently was high-ranking, <coughs> excuse me, to go and check throughout the yard. He did not find anything. My sister further explained to him to listen as the noise was coming from some construction in the area. My brother-in-law said that he had to appear in court three times in Ladysmith and the matter was thrown out of court each time. Now this did not deter the lady from the complaints. She's now taken the matter to the High Court in Peter Maritzburg. My brother-in-law has had to appear in court last month and he was advised by the judge prosecutor that he must come with a lawyer as he cannot represent himself. Apparently, this is what the defendant, or the neighbour, requested. He told them he cannot afford a lawyer, but the case did not continue. He has to appear again next month. He's lost working hours and money because he had to spend the morning travelling to Peter Maritzburg from Ladysmith to appear in court, and even the time when he had to appear in Ladysmith, it's time off work. Now, what he, she asks is, what can he do as he cannot afford a lawyer? Why could he not defend himself, and why is he forced by the defendant to have a lawyer, and the courts have accepted that? What is his legal recourse? Well, the neighbour, first of all, sounds like a nightmare. And how yeah. can the, the, the neighbour dictate to the court whether or not he has to have an attorney? No, well, obviously all that is wrong, and I think there's a bit of misinterpretation or he's not understanding what they have to say. No litigant um, in this country has to have a lawyer. You can defend yourself. Even if the neighbour says Even so. Even it doesn't matter what the neighbour says. Okay, right. This, this neighbour sounds a little bit dotty, but, well, um, yes. and someone who is complaining about her hanging up washing... And and pretending there was a loud noise coming from it, it it does sound like a mad story. This is not a labor law story, but in effect, when you are running a business at home, which is an interesting case, you need to get licenses, etc. And but he did the right thing, and he, and he did moved the right it. thing, and he moved it away because you can't cut and weld and whatever in in a neighborhood where you got people trying to sleep or relax. So that you can't do, and he moved it. And I'm pleased he's done that. And the police then came and checked and there's nothing there and there's no noise. And what he could do is he could go to the police and lodge a complaint about harassment, hmm. about the neighbor who's harassing him. I'm not sure what they're doing in the courts. Well, she took now, the case to the high court. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm not what, sure what, what they're doing. Is. And I don't know what she means by she took it. She might have issued a summons herself. And so it's a civil case and not a criminal case. And that's what it sounds like. It sounds like that the neighbors now issued a high court summons uh, against them. If that's the case, it probably would be wise to try and get hold of a lawyer, um, even if just to get advice, just to sit for an hour for them to look at the papers and to advise this person, because it sounds a bit risky. A high court civil case is not something that any lawyer can do either. It would be someone who's specialized in high court work. And in fact, I don't think even I'm capable of doing that, even though I'm qualified as a lawyer, I have no experience in the high court 
in civil cases of this nature. But there, so, there's got to be more to the story, Michael, because, I mean, absolutely. why would the court even have put this on the roll? Because this didn't even sound like a case. Yeah, well, if they've issued a summons, then it is a case. They might have issued a summons for harassment or whatever it might be. I don't know. So they have, we haven't got enough information here to know what, what it is. But no, you can't be forced to have a lawyer. And no, you have got legal recourse. You can go lodge your own complaints. You can defend summonses. And in fact, if she, if the, the brother-in-law is of sound mind, what he would do is get hold of a lawyer, try and get it on a contingency basis and try and get his money from the neighbor because uh, that's probably they'll probably win the case and then get their legal costs and he I can actually some lawyers you, some lawyers will actually then assist on that basis. and you say as well that he could actually file charges of harassment because that's what it sounds like that's to what me. it sounds like i mean if they keep sending the police around and there's no noise so that that's what that boils down to so it's not all is lost i mean no, there's something that no. they can actually do um, and then we have an email from Jeff, also quite a long email. He says he's almost 57. He was asked to join a company approximately five years ago, given a letter of employment. We had a branch based in Joburg and one in Durban, which is where he's based, one in Durban. And most of the admin was done in Joburg. They subsequently went into voluntary liquidation in May 2011, and several issues have arisen as a result of poor management. Now, he's got a few questions. I'll try and do them as quickly as I can. The first one is, I have Provident Fund deducted every month from my salary and my employer is supposed to contribute a similar amount. I discovered that the provident that my provident fund is not up to date and the company is behind on the payments due to some mix-up and allocation. I'm advised by the company that they have an arrangement with the Metal Industries Fund to pay it off at a set rate. Surely if monies are deducted and not paid across, that amounts to theft and why are matters not disclosed to employees? I think we'll just deal with each of these as they come along because there's quite a few. So that's the first one of where his, uh, they okay, aren't yeah. keeping up to date with uh, his let me, let me, In fact, I can take them all together at, at one because okay. once a company goes into liquidation, things change quite radically and... If there were certain monies deducted for a provident fund and they weren't paid over to the provident fund, the liquidator, because there'll be a liquidator who will be appointed by the court, the company now no longer has any powers, the directors have no powers, the shareholders have no powers, the liquidator gets the power, he will investigate fully and find out what happened to the money. He can even press criminal charges against the directors and possibly the shareholders and try and trace that money, see where it went, because that's stolen money. If you deduct it from an employee and you keep it, or you use it for something else in the company, that's stolen money and they can press criminal charges. And it's the same, he raises an issue about his medical aid. It's exactly the same thing. The liquidator will go through the books, will investigate it. All he has to do is find out who the liquidator is, go to the court, find out who was appointed, and raise the issues about the medical aid and the provident fund. He also raises an issue about shareholding, that he had 10% shares. Well, the company's in liquidation. It's worth nothing. Unless it goes into provisional liquidation and the liquidator is able to sell it, uh, sell the company, and he then can get 10% of what the value was afterwards, um, most instances the shares lose their value 
in its entirety. Now, just the thing, going back on that thing with the Provident Fund, he, 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 his amount was paid over, but they were supposed to contribute an equal amount, Correct. which they theft. haven't paid. Correct, that's theft. Even though, if it's their money that they haven't yeah, because, paid no, over. No, it's not their money because it's it's part of his salary packet. Okay, He paid right. tax on it. But he says that he, he's been advised that they've made an arrangement with the Metal Industries Fund to pay it off at a set rate, so they are well, going to be paying it off. That's obviously what's happened because they don't want criminal charges. I can't quite them. figure out how they could be in voluntary liquidation when he's still yeah, wondering about the medical aid with half paid by the company. He's only getting an allowance of 50%. And he's talking about the fact that he was given shares to the value of 277000 They should be paid off in about 18 months. But he was when he queried this, he was told that they would sort them out by September. And to date, he's not signed for anything or had any clarification. And... Um, there's just I, I can't understand why all this is happening when they're apparently in voluntary liquidation. Yeah, that, that's why I'm saying I'd like to answer it all in one because once you're in liquidation, that puts an end to the commercial life of a company. It yeah, because he also says I was made a director of the company and turned it down after a while as I had lack of information and yeah. felt I could not provide service to the workers or the company. Now, surely that wouldn't or any any of that would be relevant if they were in Completely liquidation. Completely irrelevant. Completely irrelevant. Maybe, uh, Jeff, if maybe you could just email me on law at safm.co.za. Maybe you could just explain how come all this is of relevance if the company is in voluntary liquidation. Was, unless it was of relevance before it went into liquidation. Possibly. And that's probably what took place over here. Because he said they subsequently went into voluntary liquidation no. in May 2011 and several issues have arisen as a result of poor management. No. Now, whether all of this happened before tw um, May 2011, I'm not sure. And if it did, Correct. would it not be too late now? Yeah, absolutely. That's why I'm saying once it's in liquidation, the company's financial persona is killed. It's dead. Okay. So, Jeff, maybe if you could just let us know exactly where the company stands at this point, it might help us to understand a little better about what's going on with you. Um, and then our last email question that we have um, is, Michael, do you want to just deal with this? Because we can't say a lot of stuff here, and I don't want to say the wrong thing. Where's our – he just writer, wants a legal opinion yeah. in terms of common law practice. The, the writer tells us that um, he received um, certain shares in a company. Um, he – wants to have a legal opinion in terms of common law principles. Um, he wants to have some advice. Um, my suggestion is that, in fact, the shareholding that he tells us he does have, that he should get hold of a commercial lawyer. Um, it's not a labor problem at all. Um, he appears to have certain rights. Um, he's got a certain percentage, which is quite a substantial percentage, of a public company. And... I would suggest that he gets this commercial advice and as soon as possible arranges to speak to an attorney. Now, the, a lot of attorneys will do these issues on a contingency basis, uh, so he doesn't have to worry on that basis. Once he's outlined his case to someone and he can show his share certificates, whether it be 5% or 10% or 15%, um, he, should, he should be able to get an attorney that would be interested uh, and best be an attorney in his hometown so you can go visit him give him all the paperwork instruct him and they can pursue it because this is a solvent company that he's pursuing and the solvent company seems to be doing quite well as well so he has a very substantial claim it's something that he must pursue as quickly as possible with a commercial lawyer yeah 
Okay. Well, you tuned to SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. I'm Karen Key, and this is The Law Report. My guest tonight is Michael Bagram, an attorney in Cape Town, practicing as Bagram's attorneys, labor law specialists. And, of course, we're talking about labor law. If you have any questions, you can call us on 0892 2010. Um, Michael, before we take our first call briefly, you said, unfortunately, even though it's January, um, there's strikes looming. You told me to buy my apples as soon as possible. Yeah, <laughs> I, I do think, uh, I think all of us in the country needs to need to get our fruit for the next few weeks. Uh, keep it in your fridge or buy your apples now before the price of apples goes up. I'm giving some good commercial advice. Um, there is a threatened strike here in the Western Cape, the continuation of the agricultural strike, um, and the unions and the organizations involved here in the Western Cape have all threatened to go on the strike because they have not received the increased daily rate. You recall that the daily rate was, I think it was 79 rand, is 79 rand per day. They're looking for 150 rand per day. Not such a princely sum, but... On the other hand, many of the farmers are saying they can't afford that. Um, the unions and some of the organizations approached Agri Western Cape and asked Agri Western Cape to enter into negotiations with the unions to see if they could come to some arrangement to get the 150 rand per day. And you'll recall at the end of last year and on this program, we spoke at the law report about some of the ugly incidences mm. that happened at that strike nice. where farmers had their farms burnt down and some of their uh, grapes were destroyed um, it was very unpleasant um, implements farming implements pack houses all that sort of thing was burnt down and destroyed uh, when farmers had spent many years building these facilities up then there was a um, a recall and if you re remember a lot of the people then said they would go to work. It was harvest time. They're busy harvesting the fruit. They still are um, now at the moment. They're harvesting the fruit. There were one or two very unfortunate incidences over and above the destruction of property where I think it was the ANC of the Eastern Cape had said that called upon the world to boycott South African wines. Um, and our, our, our Minister Davies uh, didn't condemn that immediately, which which shocked me somewhat. Um, when in fact we, we're all trying to get our exports together, and we're trying to be very pro South African and say by South African. Now what's happened is, and if you saw uh, some of the press statements today and heard on SAFM some of the news items, what has happened is that FAWU, the Food and Allied Workers Union, uh, are calling to support a boycott of South African fruit uh, abroad. Now, this is dangerous stuff. This is really horrific because it doesn't hit at the farmers. It hits at all of us in South Africa. Ship South Africa is sailing along very nicely. We've been trying for the last 15 years to become part of the commercial uh, League of Nations. Um, here in South Africa, we've been very careful to try and advertise our goods, to become a net exporter, we need the foreign currency. And in fact, our president, President Zuma, has gone out of his way. People can say some nasty things about him, but he has gone out of his way to go to foreign countries and to say, buy South African goods. He's been good about that, 
and he's been very sure in what he's trying to do. He's trying to sell South Africa to the rest of the world. Um, well, we know that President Mbabeki did the same thing. And over the past 15 years, our net export has been increasing monthly. It's been good. We are getting in the foreign currency, and it's been good. Now, I think the second biggest industry here in the Western Cape is our fruit and our fruit juice and um, beneficiation of fruit products as an export has been growing. We have stood head and shoulders above some of the other countries that have been trying to export as well. For instance, South America or Australia or New Zealand. They're desperate to muscle in on the market. Very desperate to muscle in on the market. I know that the Cape Chamber of Commerce and Industry today issued a statement saying that it would be reckless and silly for anyone to call for a boycott of that fruit because the minute a country looks at it, say England for instance, that take a lot of our fruit, they said, listen, the workers are suffering badly, so therefore let's rather buy fruit from Australia. To get that market back is going to take us another 15 years. Now, who's going to suffer? The farmers will suffer, yes, that's true. But then what they'll say is, well, we haven't got a market for our fruit, so we don't need to grow our fruit. So we don't need employees. So let's retrench the employees. Who else suffers? The government needs the income tax that they receive on the sale of these goods. And they need the foreign currency that comes in that makes South Africa as strong as it is today. We've managed to weather the storm, the economic fallout that you've seen so heavily in Europe, because we've managed to be outside of that. Um, and it's, it's, it's a madness, an absolute madness for anyone to say, do not buy. Well, as that you said, uh, maybe we should go out tomorrow and buy our apples and our fruit before <laughs> the prices go yeah, through. The prices are going to go through the roof. Yeah. Um, and just a word for all of you out there that called in earlier. Apparently, been, um, my producer has been trying to get back to you, but a lot of you have switched your phones off. So if you're wanting us to call you back and you're still listening to the show, please turn your phones back on or possibly charge your battery so we can get back to you. But if you'd like to get through to us, the number is 0892 10 And we're talking labor law this evening. And um, we do have our first caller on the line, Mandla in Ladysmith in KZN. Mandla, good evening. Good evening. Happy New Year to all of you. Thanks, and Thank to you, you too, Mandla. How can we help yes. you? Um, in fact, uh, I, I would like, I'll be short. Um, um, last year, my father was working for a certain company in Pumalanga province. So he started last year. And uh, unfortunately, in November, he passed away in an accident. He was a truck driver. And... Uh, so I went with my mom to the Department of Labor to apply for the UIF, as she was the person that is authorized to apply for the UIF. Um, so they gave her the, uh, the, the date that uh, she can come back to sign, again, the second date. Uh, she went today, and uh, unfortunately I wasn't with her. And she is illiterate. So... But when she came back and told me, she said that, no, the URF application was declined. But I would like to know what reasons make the URF uh, to be declined, if uh, your guest can help me. Really. Michael? Yeah, thank you. I, yes. I'm, not really, I'm not really sure why it was declined. They normally have to give reasons. Um, my suggestion is, and it's, it's sad that your mother had to go there and stand because 
Normally when you go there you can stand for hours in a queue. It's not actually a very pleasant experience at all. Uh, it doesn't sound right. It sounds like someone's just pushing her around because they've got an old lady maybe. Um, that doesn't sound fair either. They must. I think you must go in there. Uh, and yeah. I think you owe it to her now to go in there and demand to see an inspector and demand to have a full reason as to why they're declining it. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm sorry to hear about your late brother, but um, at, at the end of the day, uh, it's your father, isn't it? Your, yeah, your father, my your, father. Your father. Yeah. Sorry about that. Yeah. At the end of the day, he's worked hard and he's entitled, his estate is entitled to the monies. So I don't think yeah. this is fair at all. And you must go and, and push your way in and, and demand to have answers. Unfortunately, because they're so busy at the Department of Labor and because the administration isn't up to scratch, it's, the administration is quite poor, uh, they normally, if they see a vulnerable individual, they normally say, listen, we can't help you. Um, yeah. It makes it easier for them. Uh, and I don't think that's right. It's very unfair. But that's unfortunately the situation that does exist. My suggestion is get down there as soon as possible. If you can afford to go tomorrow, that would be good. Monday, did they not give her any reason as to why they declined it? Um, in fact, that's what I'm saying. You know, these old uh, people, they're illiterate, and sometimes yeah. they are scared even to ask questions. Mm. Uh, she didn't, because I asked her, what did they say? They said, no. she said, no, they told me that it was declined. Uh, don't know about the government uh, after four months what happens you know a lot of stories that yeah. are not even uh, so no, the, this was this was definitely uif though Monday. this your mother had been working somewhere and this was uif father father, uh, father. no the father my your father, father passed working. away yes. yeah, yeah yeah so he, he started working last year uh, he passed away in november so uh, 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 what uh, 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 is uh, giving me a problem is that uh, I don't get answers from uh, from my mother. Why did they say it was declined? So I think the best thing I will do is just go down there Correct. and uh, ask for answers, as yeah. uh, your guest has told yeah. me. You don't have to get rude, but you must be firm. firm. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, Mandel, well, good luck to you. Hope that works okay. out. Thank you. Thank thanks you thanks for getting through. Yeah, Thank really you. nice to have you on the yeah, show. Thank thanks, Mandler. Good night to you. Um, Michael, just a personal question. Um, mm. I didn't realize that if, if somebody passed away, you could actually claim their UIF. Under certain circumstances, you can because they've paid money in. So there's oh, a right. widow. Okay, I didn't know that. There are circumstances where you can. There's all sorts of complicated rules and regulations, but they need to, and you can challenge them. You can challenge a ruling. That's been made. He you know, might possibly have, there was all this stuff going on. Or he might have been was, an independent contractor or they might not have been deducting the UIF. I don't mm, know what the real story but he needs, is. But Munda needs to get the story from them. Okay. Correct. Well, fact, uh, yeah, thanks it would be better if Munda went himself because then he, could, possibly. he mm. could answer them there and then. Yeah. Off to the northwest province. Paulinus, good evening. Good evening, Karen. How are you? Very well. How are you? No, I'm not, I'm not well at all. Oh, dear. How no. can we help you, Paulinus? Um, I, I'm very much pleased to come on air, um, Kevin. Uh, I've got a, a long-standing problem with uh, SARS. Oh, right. Okay. ultimately the CCMA. Right. Um, I joined SARS as a tent in 2001, and then I became permanent in 2003. 
wherein after becoming permanent, I was forcefully asked to swap my position with a white colleague, which I refused. And that was the start of uh, my problems, wherein after that I was um, threatened by a human resource manager that uh, because I thought I was very much educated, I'll get replaced with a CA within two seconds. And then after that, South uh, undertook uh, employment equity process, the ASIACA process in 2003. And I was at that time diagnosed with um, um, what depression. Okay. I wasn't at work. And then what happened is uh, when I went back to work after having undergone the, all the uh, tests and the interviews for the employment equity process and having applied for the new dispensation, uh, positions, I was given a letter on my returning back to work that I was not successful at all with the new dispensation uh, applications. Now, to my surprise, later on, uh, they um, um, hired a Deloitte and Tosh auditors who informed me that they had in their position, it was actually shown to me, that they had in their position that SARS had robbed me of any employment equity upgrade. And then soon after that, I took my grievances to the uh, general manager who was the most uh, senior manager in, 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 in my branch that is in the, in the complex. And to my surprise, he was uh, called away by head office that was uh, transferred back to head office uh, like abruptly. And then soon after that, I was called into a hearing and then I was charged with various... Um, made up charges like coming late and not being at work and all that. And um, actually, my grievances were not attended to and I was dismissed uh, summarily. And I believe that that was because of the charges that were actually going on in the interim where I was refusing to undertake very ridiculous offers, um, very ridiculous uh, commands, wherein at the end of the day, I was made to uh, undertake a fraudulent activity where I wrote off almost 18 million rand of SARS checks owed by a Chinese company that they had tried five times previously to write off, and I was forced by my supervisor to write off. When, or when did this happen? When were you dismissed? I was dismissed in October 2006. I took my case immediately to the CCMA. They convinced the first uh, conciliation process wasn't even engaged during the, the, the hearing. And uh, within five minutes, the, the commissioner told me the only thing she can help me was uh, ask my employers to get me a letter that doesn't indicate why I was dismissed so I can look for another job. Right. I said uh, that was not, not good uh, enough. That, that, did, yeah, that didn't satisfy me. Then she uh, told me to go and, and, and make an application again and then went an arbitration session wherein the very same verdict was given without my engagement at all. And I said, no, I'm still not pleased. And I'm surprised um, you're coming out with the very same adjudication as the one that was... Uh, so when was the arbitration? Next... Sorry? When was the arbitration? When did it happen? It happened in 2007, and I don't have the dates right now, and this thing has worried me. I think I've got uh, a depression problem, problem right now because I've lost everything. My wife eventually 
gotten arrested on a false rape charges because she's, she was cheating me with a policeman. And without any evidence, and I've lost my home and everything, I've referred my cases to the public protector, but nothing seems to be happening. And last night, I got evicted. Uh, the sheriff came in, took my stuff, threw it on the street without anybody watching over it, and I've lost everything. Yeah, I'm sorry to hear all that, but unfortunately, I think it's too late. You're going to have to get on with your life and find another job, because if the arbitration was held in 2007... Obviously, you weren't happy with the outcome of that arbitration. No, what, I'm, what, what concerns me is the arbitration, the first arbitration was confident, and I said I wasn't happy. And they said, make another application. And no, they said they will contact me with a new date for a second arbitration process. They didn't contact me. Did you? And whenever they didn't contact me. Did you fill in a form? technically made so that yeah. it would seem like I absconded. Yeah, now there's not much you can do now. It's too many years down the line. Too many years. No, but I've too, been too pursuing long. this issue all along. I've never let down on it. And it was reopened again in uh, 2010 when I contacted the Department of Labor, Labor in the presidential office. Well, if it's reopened then, now, then may, are they working on the case now, Paulinas? No, no. What, 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 what surprises me when the case was reopened, the senior commissioners that were involved in my case suddenly uh, disappeared from the CCMA, and then my case was given to a blind commissioner who even have, had it read to him on prayer. And I asked him how he had familiarized uh, himself with the case, because there is a, a blatant um an untruthful file that was submitted by the receiver of revenue for the arbitration process. And I pointed to that fact that I'm now pursuing the, the case on the evidence that's been sub submitted by my employer where alleged uh, computer records prove not to be true because a computer cannot make mistakes. Paulina, so are we going to have to wrap this up? I'm afraid you, we, we, we've got loads of other calls holding on, but Michael, very briefly, because we need to move I, I, on. I, th I think you, what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to pursue it through a lawyer because it's become very complicated. It's not easy to answer something like that on a short discussion and an interview that we're having on radio. Um, I understand what you're saying. I personally think that you've come to the end of the road, but my suggestion is that you, if you've lost everything, you go and get yourself legal aid. You can get legal aid or go to the Department of Labor and get them to no, try and I, get I some... I received legal aid on, on, on both occasions for my home and for, for, for the labor issue, I was refused legal aid for my home. Legal aid was granted and then surprisingly also summarily denied. Yeah. Not much more that we can take it any further. Paulina, thank yeah, you. I'm sorry thank about you. that, but really, I think we, 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 as Michael says, there's not much else we can help you with on the show. Good luck to you in the future, though. Off to Butterworth, Nephthal, good evening. Good evening, ma'am. Hello, Hi. how can we help you? Madam, I was working for a security private company in East London. Right. And last year, I retired. I've reached the age of 65 years. I retired by July last year. Right. And they told me that everything they've submitted for my security profit and fund to APSA. Right. They've shown me the copies. But now after waiting for this long time, and then I'm, uh, 
I owe the banks a lot of money. The interest are going up. When I go to APSA to, to, to ask by phone, they told me that the, the security company broke, but the security company doesn't, didn't pay all the, my contributions. They didn't pay all my contributions. And that company is so cheating. They are cheating me. They were trying to cheat me before. They say I must sign a resignation form while I was retiring. And it was a battle, a battle. Mm-hmm. And then they, they've cheated me till to the labor office. And then at labor office, they, they, they put at me as a person who re- resigned. But labor office owned them. And they said, no, they are so they've made an error. They've corrected that. Still now, I don't trust them if they did pay all the contributions to APSA, uh, private security uh, company claims. Now I'm waiting for six months. Always, always when I phone APSA after a long time, APSA tells me that my contributions are not yet. Uh, they've not yet. Used. I don't know what. Okay. Let me let me explain how how you would do it. I think the best thing to do is um, get hold of CIRA. You know the Security Industry Regulatory Authority. It's called S I R A in your town, wherever you are. Butterworth. Butterworth. There must be a CIRA (laughs) office there that control all the security companies. Go to them and ask for them to give you an inspector who can advise you as to how to track down where your monies are, how much should have been put in, whether it's all been put in, they will give you that advice. The industry has put together this this regulatory body specifically yes. for questions like this. Yes, sir. And they must have an office in Butterworth. I'm sure they do. Um, no, they have an office in Amtata. Uh, in, um, yeah. There is an office in Amtata, you're right. No, Amtata, there is an office. I've been to the Sira office in Amtata. So I think you should go there and get some advice there and let them follow up for you. Because that's why they're there. You've had had deductions over the years. Yes, I I do have my my pay slip. Yeah, correct. And you'll see that you've paid money to Sira as well. So, yes. So get hold of them. And they will sort it out for you. Could you phone them as well? Yes, you can. But yeah. I think it's better if you go in there. Um, they they ask you to come in. If, you, if you're looking up a number, um, Neftal, look, just either phone 1023, which is Directory Inquiries, and ask them for the number. Or otherwise, if you have a telephone directory, they'll be under SIRA, Security mm. Industry Regulatory Authority. Okay, ma'am. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Neftal. Good luck. Good night to you. Off to Kimberley, Sabata. Good evening. Good evening, ma'am. How are you? Very well, thanks. And you? How can we help no, you? No, thanks very much. No, I got two uh, challenges that uh, I'm experiencing. The first one ne, is uh, concerning my wife. She's working at the Defence Force. Ne? Uh, she's a chef there at the Defence Force. But now what is happening is since from 2009, after probation, they've been working from 5 o'clock in the morning until 6 o'clock in the afternoon. Now, the thing is they are not getting the overtime money that uh, they're supposed to get. And when they raise this question, they've been informed, no, it will be, it will be, since from 2009. So I just want to hear from uh, your, your guest there. 
mm. what other uh, procedures because you know most defense force they got a lot of mm. procedures with the channels that they must follow but at the end of the day they cannot get through they cannot get the breakthrough of of concerning this issue now Thank you. the second oh, let's just deal the first one first uh sabata okay michael okay. Um, does does your wife belong to the trade union? There is a trade union, a military trade union. Yeah, yeah, they they, they do have a trade union. Well, I think that's obviously the first port of call, because mm-hmm. the trade union is very powerful, and they will be able to get some answers. Because if she's not getting overtime to go and fight it on her own, it's mm-hmm. not the right way to go, and she'll also put her job at risk. So rather mm-hmm. do that at through the trade union. They 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 much. It's much easier because it takes the personal issue out of it and it yeah. becomes an issue on behalf of all the chefs because mm. it's not just her it must be all it must be everyone has she working. not gone to the trade union up to now sabata no i'm not sure of but the the, the managers people from pretoria hq they've been there in the unit and then they've been addressed this issue with them with the uh, commanders of support uh, from 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 uh, defense force hq but Till today, there's no such thing that is happening. So this, the union has actually approached um, the Defence Force on their behalf already? No, no, no them sure as, as, a, as a unit member. Oh, no, I would do it through the union. No, the union needs to go and speak to the commanding officers and or whoever's in charge of doing things this about... Is the, this uh, is the obvious time when you go to a union, Yeah, a problem okay. of this nature. Oh, right. Your second question was? Okay, the second question was, I was having... Uh, Okay, uh, my my late uh, sister-in-law, ne? she passed away last year in December, I think. Yeah, December, yeah. Now, uh, what is happening is uh, when her mother went to UIF to claim the certain amount that uh, that she maybe uh, can claim, she was told, no, she cannot claim the money unless uh, it's a, a boyfriend or life partner or what. So I just wanted a clarity on that matter. Yeah, they can't just give it to anyone. They normally give it to a spouse. Not the mother. And, 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 yeah, probably probably they give it to a spouse or a child. Mm. Um, so you must get hold of the, the, the spouse or a, a direct offspring. Is, children, is there, is there a husband or a child, Sabata? No, she didn't have a child. Uh, she was uh, divorced, but she was having a, a life partner. But my question again is, is what what in the situation then where there's no a life a, a partner or a child it's only the parent that is only left well you can you can apply for a special dispensation for that and if they turn it down you can appeal and you okay. would explain in the appeal they also appeal form and they'll explain why the parent should be getting the money okay okay so you can apply ask for, for the that. appeal form okay no thanks very much Thank you to me thank you Sabata and good luck thank you and tell tell your wife to go and speak to the union they need to take this up on her behalf and the rest of the chefs yeah no I will definitely they are in the field now but immediately when they come back I will just inform her what I've been uh, that I got from you people there well good luck to her and to you as well thank you Sabata thanks for getting through good night to you off to Ruval now Zida good evening good evening ma'am hi Hi. how can we help you Zida uh, ma'am, in 2002, a certain municipality had some sites that were ownerless. So they decided to tender the, to the community. So I'm one of them who bought one site. 
So after buying the site, and then they appointed a, a special lawyer to make the title deeds for us. Right. But now, with my site, the lawyers only find out that it was no registered, and I said, uh, Mr. Who last paid the rates in 1928. So at this present moment, I still don't have a, a, a title deed, but I've already developed a place, I've already built a house, and I'm, I'm a, a little bit scared if maybe one day uh, this Mr. So-and-so who last paid his rates in 1928 can come out and I have to vacate the place. Unfortunately, this seems to be, there's been a yeah, number, this isn't really a label or issue, but it, there was a problem with this housing thing been, in yeah, Joburg uh, towards the end of last year. All those people yeah, had people bought, bought and built houses. And on it land sounds, that they couldn't. It yeah. sounds like you need to get hold of a an attorney that handles the, the property, a property lawyer. Um, and especially if you built your house already, because then you yeah. spent a lot of money on it. Um, yeah. I think this is very risky, and I certainly wouldn't rely on a radio discussion. Uh, yeah. You must get hold of a lawyer. Um, maybe you can you can join one of those schemes where you pay in fifty rand a month or something like that, and get hold of a property lawyer. That that will help you because you've got a lot of risk. It's your house, so. Yeah. There's a lot of risk. I don't think I would take a chance on this one. And Michael's a labor lawyer, so I don't. he's not, not really his field of expertise, no, although I'm no, sure you no, are no. an expert in lots of fields, no, Michael. No, 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 but not, this not one this, is a little dicey. This is very, very dangerous. Yeah, Zita, don't leave this because this is your future is tied up in that property there, and uh, you need to get this sorted out as soon as possible to put your mind at rest and also to find out about the title deed. Thank you very so much. So get hold of, of a property lawyer. All right. Yeah. Thanks so much. Good luck to you on that one. Um, we're getting quite close to the end of the show. Eunice in Bloemfontein, if you can be relatively brief, how can we help you? Uh, good evening. I was employed by the Department of Education as a temporary educator. Right. We, we used to get our appointment letters after we'd already worked. So I worked the first three months and then uh, I received my pay and then uh, we worked for the the uh, other three months, three, next three months, we got our pay. And after that, uh, I never received any pay. But the principal had instructed me to work, but I never received anything. So I don't know where to go in order to get the payment for the, the period that I worked. How long did you work for with no pay, Eunice? For three months. Another three months. Okay, Michael. So in other words, uh, uh, I had already worked for nine months for the yeah. department. Mm. You know, you have a claim against the department. You must go to the bargaining council, the educational bargaining council, and lodge a claim. Oh, we've lost her. She's disappeared off the line. Oh, she can listen on the radio. But the, okay. the, the essence of that is there is a claim. You are entitled to launch a claim uh, at the bargaining council, the education bargaining council, and your case sounds like a good one. So if you, anyone is listening to it that you know and could tell you, please go get hold of them immediately because that's not fair. If they haven't told you to leave, then they entitle, you're entitled to your salary. But you said that she was instructed by the headmaster to, to, be, to, there. to be there, so maybe, she was there. But, you know, the, the headmaster is not the employer. The, mm. the department is the employer. Uh, but maybe there's also a claim against the school itself if the headmaster instructed to be there. But I personally would pursue that because she's worked, 
She's entitled to the money. Now, she said she'd been working as a temporary uh, worker, three months, three months, and then three, the last three months she wasn't paid. Yeah. Would she automatically be a member of, of, an, of the bargaining, of, yes, of the bargaining council? Yes, Okay, so she could, yeah. would have a right to, to take it up with them. Absolutely. Okay, and she is entitled to that money, as you said. Yes, yeah, she's <clears> worked <throat> for it to turn mm. money. It happens, that. unfortunately, happens quite a lot. Many, many times. Mm, and not just yeah. in the education department, I think, but even in private uh, In private circles everywhere. all the time, people work and they find they're not getting their salary. But she is entitled to her salary. Yeah, so, and don't leave it because, uh, you know, it's the last, you, the last thing you want to do. Um, Ray in Johannesburg, we've got a few minutes left. If you can be very brief, we can take your call. Hello. Hello, Ray. Hi. Can you be very quick? Hi. We've got only about three minutes. Okay, it is a very, very quick question. Um, does the company have a right? Okay, I was dismissed, okay, and um, I've been asking them for my Provident Fund, okay, the form to fill out so I can claim my Provident Fund. I got an email today to say that, no, they're not going to release my Provident Fund because they're laying criminal charges. Are they allowed to do that? For what? For, for something a, that they have, they feel that you've stolen something or something like that? No, no. Three of us were dismissed, okay? Right, um, mm. you know, for the hearing, okay. Mm -hmm. um, but I want to actually know: Do they have a right to hold my provident? No, they don't. Not until not until they've actually laid the charges and they've got a substantive case. So what you must do is get hold of the company itself, not your employer, the company that runs the provident fund, and ask yeah. them to ask them to pursue it quickly and get it done. So you don't okay. go to don't go to your employer. Go to the company that runs the provident fund. It could be our oh, mutual okay. or Sunlum or Liberty. No, well, it's only under Forbes. You know, well, go, go straight to them. Yes, and tell them okay, that you know the threats aren't aren't of any use. You must get your money. Well, you know, this is how I felt. You know, yeah. um, you know, obviously. So, you know, I just wanted to know: Do they have the right to do this? Only once they've got a judgment against you can they try and attach it. But you you must go to them. Go to Alexander okay. Forbes. Okay, thanks a lot, Chair. Thanks, Ray. Good luck to you. Good luck. The companies take a bit of a chance a lot of the time, Michael. It sounds quite hair-raising no, 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 up there. You can, <laughs> under certain circumstances, you can hold back mm. the monies if you can prove that the monies were stolen or the mm. money's owing. Um, it's quite rare that, that this can get get done, but... Um, it's Alexander Forbes who must, who must move Sort it out, now. absolutely. Well, Michael, once again, thank you very much indeed for joining us, and thank you again for making yourself available when I was having my end-of-year moment earlier. Thank you so much for your time again. Thank you. I really appreciate it. It's always a great pleasure being here, and we will be back in February. On the 4th of February, like we thought. February. Like, yes, but we won't go this to one the I have, <laughs> This one I have diarized for the 4th of February at... Nine at the right nine. time, yeah. yes, I won't be having another one of those moments again. As Michael, you know, Michael Bagram was joining us this evening, and he's the practicing managing partner at Bagram's Attorneys, Labor Law Specialist in Cape Town, and he's been my guest on tonight's edition of the Law Report program. And as we said, we get it right this time. Michael will be back with us again on Monday, the 4th of February. The Law Report is on the air on SAFM every Monday evening between 9 and 10. And if you'd like to contact me, you can do so via email on law at safm.co.za. And as I mentioned at the beginning of the program, I um, think I'm in the throes of actually putting the show on Facebook. Well, I thought I had, but apparently I haven't quite done it correctly. I'll have another look at that this evening when I get home. You can take a look at that from tomorrow, hopefully. And on Facebook, it's The Law Report on SAFM. Well, in next week's program, being the second Monday of the month, we'll once again be joined by... Attorney
Lenny Nicolene Skuman for our general law clinic. So no fixed topic, but instead more or less anything goes, provided of course it's about the law. Now Nicolene is away on leave and uh, hopefully coming back on Monday. So we're hoping there's no plane delays or anything else, and otherwise we're going to have a slight problem. But at this stage, she'll be with us next Monday. That's the 14th of January. And I'll be back with you again tomorrow evening just after nine with Health Matters. And being the second Tuesday of the month, it's our monthly phone-in. And I'll be joined in studio by psychologist Dr. Robin Rosen. And we'll be talking about post-traumatic stress disorder. So join me for that.